Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Monday morning, the 19th of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. On Thursday, the first consultative forum on international security policy will be held. There's a lot of concern that this is the first step planned by the Irish government in a process uh, that will mean Ireland will no longer act as a neutral state. It is a crawl away from uh, the self-esteem of our foreign policy. Ireland's foreign policy is one of positive neutrality and it can be defined very simply as Ireland's right to belong to any group that it chooses in relation to non-militaristic international policy. If you interfere with that, there's no difference between you and Lithuania and Latvia. Both of those countries are members of NATO and that's the fire that people are playing with. The most dangerous moment in the formulation of foreign policy is when you're drifting and not knowing what you're doing. Our present position is one of drift. And what about these forums? Why will we only hear from the admirals, the generals, the air force and the rest of it as well as the formerly neutral countries who are joining NATO and why is the chair Louise Richardson a great advocate of foreign policy in the United States and someone who is most definitely seen as a hawk who has no time for doves arguing in favour of neutrality, a person with a very large DBE Dame of the British Empire. That is what President Michael D. Higgins has been saying about these public, ahead of these public forums getting underway. That is intolerance. You guys are no great advocates of freedom of speech at all. Uh And I shudder to think of the day when you would ever be in authority. But by God, would you put a jackboot on people who might have views different to yours? We'll debate neutrality now with people before Prophet TD, Richard Boyd Barrett and Finnefall Minister of State TD for me, these Thomas Byrne. Good morning to both of you. Minister, do you welcome the comments from President Higgins or would you like to put the jackboot on him? I was in. I was in this. I was at the Special Olympics over the weekend, so I didn't read the interview. And as you know, I agreed to come on this radio show before the president spoke. So I'm very happy to robustly defend and promote what the government is doing this week on the Consultative Forum on International Security. It's a very, very important event. It's live streamed to the public. Anyone can watch it. LMFM is free to broadcast uh, the proceedings there. Uh, the list of speakers is up online. People can see who they are. It contains a range of people. Uh, on a range of areas through international security, 
Um, there's a one tiny part of it. I think there's 18 panel discussions over four days. There's one of them about NATO. Uh, two of them are about neutrality. Uh, and the rest are about the wide range of issues that we're concerned about at the moment, including climate, including cybersecurity, hybrid threats, disinformation, mm-hmm. the idea of peacekeeping, peace building, the work that we're already doing. So you think uh, the president is wrong uh, in claiming that all we're going to hear from is admirals, generals uh, and uh, hawks in general who will be arguing against neutrality? Well, uh, look, I'd urge anybody to look at the list of speakers uh, who are speaking. In fact, on, on one of the panel discussions, it may well be on the one on neutrality or NATO, it's mm. Roger Cole from the Peace and Neutrality Alliance is speaking. I mean, he's a consistent opponent uh, of NATO the only, many, the, many the, the, the only opponent, though, on any of the panels. Um, is the President wrong? I mean, I think a, a lot of us uh, give great weight to everything that the President says. And I give I give way to what the president says, but look, I mean, the government is in charge of keeping the people safe, protecting the people, uh, and the idea that we wouldn't consider this after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, where there's mm. war in Europe. And now how the president we- is saying we're, we're drifting into NATO, uh, and we're going to have the argument made to us by admirals and generals, uh, and those people who like to go to war. No, there will be a lot of Irish military, uh, there, will be, there will be people speaking of, of a military background, but there will be Irish military speak, people speaking there as well, who have intensive and serious experience of peacekeeping, mm. crisis management, working in the areas that our military already works in, the UN, the EU, the OSCE. Mm. Um, so the President those, is right? Look, I, I, look, the President is entitled to his views, absolutely entitled to his views. But the you don't agree is, with them? You believe his I, views I are wrong? I don't, I don't agree with the views. And the government has, a, okay. has, has an obligation uh, to protect the country, to protect the people. Uh, we're doing that. We're having mm. an open forum, an open discussion forum uh, where people can see what is being discussed. OK, let me um, go to Richard Boyd Barrett if I can. I'll come back to you, Minister. I, I want to ask you if you agree with President Higgins because he, he simply said what you've been saying for a very long time. Yeah, I agree very strongly with him, and I welcome uh, his intervention. And uh, the suggestion that the the forum that the governments are organising are fair or balanced is absolute nonsense. Uh, And Thomas should actually read the programme. He just referred, for example, to the session that deals with NATO. Uh, That has three speakers, and all two of them work for NATO, and the other one is on record as supporting uh, NATO. So there's not a single speaker on the session dealing with NATO uh, who has is critical or questioning uh, NATO. They are all advocates of NATO, and that reflects the more general balance of the forum, where we have about 80 speakers, and there is one one uh, active opponent of NATO and EU uh, military policy. Uh, and Western foreign policy. One uh, critic, uh, uh, Roger Cole. Uh, Opposition political parties such as ourselves and uh, many others were not asked to speak, weren't notified, and then a whole range of organizations that have campaigned for years, for example, who led the campaign against uh, the use of Shannon Airport uh, to facilitate U.S. troops when the U.S. and the U.K. led a bloody war in Iraq and Afghanistan, none of those organizations, with the exception of PANA, have been asked to speak. Uh, and it is littered with people who work for NATO, who are on record as supporting NATO, who are uh, associated with the military. Of the uh, foreign contributors, 
foreign contributing countries to the debate. We only have countries who have left NATO. We don't have any countries who have decided, or sorry, who have abandoned neutrality and moved into NATO. We don't have any countries that have remained neutral, for example. So it is a complete ready by the government to condition public opinion towards moving us towards NATO and greater involvement in EU militarization and towards Western foreign policy, essentially. Uh, and uh, that's why we're organizing alternative mm. forums to actually have a proper discussion about why neutrality is important, why we shouldn't get involved with NATO, uh, because clearly that view is not going to be represented in any serious way. No, that's actually factually not correct. Because Switzerland is a part of the discussions at the forum this week, and they're a neutral country, they're not joining NATO, and they have a very serious military as well. Yeah, well, you were factually incorrect on, on the NATO debate, where there's not a single voice who is opposed to NATO in the debate about Ireland's involvement with NATO. Uh, the opposition weren't even notified about the forum. We haven't received a single communication from the government uh, about about the forum, never mind being asked to participate uh, and give expression to the to the views of those of us who campaigned actively to protect Ireland's neutrality uh, and against the drift. But don't you do that in the doll and everybody can see uh, that uh, the programme for the forum is on the government website uh, and details uh, what you've just been explaining to us uh, yourself there from looking at, at that, no doubt, uh, Richard Boyd Barrett. Uh, this is uh, an opportunity, I imagine, the government is suggesting to step a- away from politics and uh, the cut and thrust of what happens in Leinster House uh, to take this uh, to independent thinking people to examine the issue. But they're not independent thinking people. They're people, the vast, vast majority of them, are people who have a published and long record of involvement with NATO or advocating Mm. uh, in support of US, UK and NATO foreign policy. Uh, And indeed, the chairperson herself is on record as uh, defending US foreign policy military interventions around the world. Okay. Uh, So in what sense is this balanced? Uh, It's not even possible now to... to, I I tried to... uh, check if there were still available places at the forums, and they were all booked out with the exception of the one in Galway. Uh, and we've no idea, have the public any right even to speak at these events. Uh, but it is absolutely heavily slanted, and it's noteworthy mm. that originally the government had talked about having a People's Assembly, which is a genuinely uh, representative cross-section of society, uh, in terms of this discussion around neutrality, and then they abandoned that. And I think they did that because they know the majority of people in this country, all the opinion polls show, are in favour of retaining neutrality. And the government are hell-bent on trying to undermine our neutrality. Okay, will there be an opportunity, Thomas Byrne, for members of uh, the public uh, to speak, or will uh, the role of the population be to listen to these experts uh, uh, who... Uh, appear to be in favour of NATO, as Richard Boyd Barrett has been arguing, uh, and uh, to trust in their expertise. Sorry, I've just, I mean, look, Michael, I'd suggest now, I I don't have time now to go online and read them all out, but you have a show there. You can can read them all out. You can invite some of the speakers maybe onto your show uh, and show that they're not all about NATO. I just mentioned two of them, for example, but I have to go online just to check all the speakers. There's a wide range of speakers of various views. And first of all, about NATO. We've all said we don't want to join NATO. Okay. Secondly, 
two countries have recently applied to join NATO. One of them hasn't been let in yet, that's Sweden. So I don't know, does NATO even want us, even if we wanted to join them? And three, is our military capability able for NATO? I don't think so. So I think, I think NATO is simply not an issue. What, what we're talking about here is international security. How do we protect the people? How do we look after ourselves? How do we make sure our military is able to do it? And we mm. have a very, very proud record in this country, under Fianna Fáil governments a lot of the time, of a really active and engaged foreign policy on nuclear disarmament, on we've always had peacekeepers throughout the world. Um, we've we've very, very proud record when it comes to our foreign policy and what we've done and what we've tried to do to influence the world for the good. And that's what's going that that's what I want mm. to see continuing. That's what Fina Falls and Michal Martin, this government wants to see continuing. That's not going to change. the president says you're playing with fire. Uh, do you want to see Irish boys lose their lives on the battlefield? Look, I mean, I, I respectfully disagree with that particular line of the president about playing with fire, but I don't think he mentioned anything about boys in the battlefield. I, did, I didn't see that. Um, but that type of argument, the latter thing that you just said, uh, comes up at every single European Union referendum. People like Richard Boyd Barrett have said this every single time. And, and one of them and <laughs> resulted wrong. in the triple lock. Part, the triple lock, yeah. That's, yeah. It, it, and now, now your government is saying it's completely out of date. Well, the, the reason that we have to look at the triple lock is very, very simple, because the triple lock requires that the UN Security Council approve every movement of our troops abroad. So we want to take part in peacekeeping or peace. Well, the triple abroad. lock prevents us from joining a European army. No, it doesn't. Well, no. it does. Um, it's actually, no, it doesn't. Well, and I'll explain that. No, I'll explain that. The triple lock is about Irish peacekeepers and soldiers working abroad. At the moment, Russia in particular, but Russia and China have a veto because they're, they have a veto on the security. Well, as I remember the Nice Treaty, the argument was that this could lead to Irish troops uh, joining a, a European army. Oh, yeah, and the they were the argument. And the triple lock was put now. in place so that that would never happen. Well, there's two issues. The triple lock is there to, um, in relation to making sure that our troops go abroad only for peacekeeping and peacebuilding purposes. That's why that's there. But at the moment, there's a problem because if we want to send troops abroad for peacekeeping purposes, uh, Russia and China have a veto on it. And I was in the UN last year uh, when we had to decide to renew mm. the mandate for Bosnia-Herzegovina. Okay. Lucky enough, Russia didn't veto it. All right, let me go back to Richard Boyd Barrett. Because there. You raised the issue of a European army. Yeah. Our constitution prevents us joining a European army because we put a constitutional clause in that we can't be part of a European defence. So despite all of these discussions, all of what Richard Boyd Barrett is saying, a European army can't happen from an Irish perspective Mm. because our constitution prevents it. It's not possible to do. Right. Richard Boyd Barrett. Well, it's difficult to know where to begin in all of this. I mean, first of all, on Fianna Fáil's so-called wonderful record of foreign policy, Fianna Fáil were in government when they facilitated 2 million US troops to go through Shannon Airport to prosecute a criminal war in Iraq, which was based on a pack of lies told by the United States and Britain about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Up to a million people died as a result of that criminal war, and the Irish government facilitated that and effectively acted as cheerleaders for the US and the UK in that criminal war. But you see no criticism of that uh, record by Thomas Byrne. And in fact, you know, while everybody condemns what Russia is doing in Ukraine as an imperialistic, barbarous war, the government never criticised the equally uh, brutal and warmongering history of some of the major powers like the United States and the UK who dominate NATO. Uh, and when Thomas says when, uh, there's no question of us getting involved in NATO, We had a NATO general in Cork recently assessing our troops 
we are part of the PESCO arrangement, which the government pushed us into, uh, which involves organising interoperability with NATO military forces. We are part of battle groups, and the clue is in the name, within the evolving European military structures, which are in all but name, an evolving European army, and we are involved in those battle groups. Uh, so it's just really preposterous for the government, it's Orwellian, for the government to say there's no danger of involvement with NATO when we are on a daily basis becoming more integrated with European military structures mm. that are directly aligned with NATO. Okay. Let's go back to Thomas Byrne and add to that the comments by the Taoiseach as well recently that we might have to form some sort of partnership with NATO or with Europe to defend undersea cables. Well, see, this is what it's about. I mean, Richard keeps going on about war and, and you mentioned boys will be killed in the battlefield. But, like, we have cyber threats. I mean, that's the first thing. We have cables. I mean, the HSE systems were closed down um, for a long time, about two years ago. These are the threats that we, we have to face now. The cables that come across the Atlantic. We have to make sure we're able to deal with those threats. And we can't be sitting in a, you know, mm. traditional arguments about this. We have to be real and we have to protect the people. We have to protect our economy. We have to protect our country. That's the first duty of any government um, anywhere in the world. And I'm very, very proud uh, of Fianna Fáil's record of foreign policy. Um, NATO, for example, was not involved uh, in the Iraq war because lots of NATO countries didn't agree with it. Um, and if we talk about NATO... We're talking about America. I mean, we had President Biden here for four days. It was like a national celebration nearly for the four days. Um, Finland is the most recent member of NATO, Santa Marin. These are all politicians that are very, very popular, and they're very mm. popular with Irish people as well, who are involved in NATO. We're not getting involved. But it's always thrown up there as some sort of bogeyman that we should be afraid of. Okay, um, don't we need we NATO or somebody else? To threaten our, our, our computer systems, to threaten our cables, and mm. who invaded uh, Ukraine uh, on the European continent. Richard Boyd Barrows, isn't it like we need the... RAF uh, to defend our skies. We need NATO or somebody else uh, to defend our, our seas in case the Russians come along to blow up those underground cable, underwater cables. No, the, the opposite is the truth. The best protection for this country, and indeed for Irish troops serving in peacekeeping missions abroad, is for us to maintain our neutrality and not be seen as being aligned to any of the major military powers in the world. But what if the Russians blow up the cables and uh, the HSE is in a crisis? Well, first of all, the HSE attack, we were vulnerable to it because the government haven't properly invested in proper uh, IT in the health service. And we had a decrepit computer system that was very, very vulnerable uh, to being hacked. So rather than spending more money on getting us involved in the military structures of NATO, the government should actually some, invest some money in updating the IT systems in our health service. Mm, but there'd be no IT systems, I think, is the argument if they blow up the cables. Of course we need proper IT systems that can't be hacked, right? Or blown up. But, but the idea that, that, that we jump from that to saying we should align ourselves with a military alliance that is dominated by powers like the United States and uh, Britain, who have a bloody record of imperial uh, military aggression around the world. How are those two things uh, logically compatible? Surely the lesson, when we look at the alarming geopolitical competition mm. between NATO and other military powers, uh, the best protection Ireland has is not to align ourselves with one side in this emerging geopolitical military competition. Uh, mm. But if we align ourselves with some of these powers, we become more of a target, and indeed 
one of the best protections our troops have when they're abroad is our reputation as being neutral, as not being aligned to any of the major military powers. If we become associated with those powers, it will actually put our troops in danger when they're on peacekeeping missions. Okay, guilty by association, Thomas Byrne. Look, I just want to go back just on the whole issue of cyber. I mean, I'd urge you like, to look at the, the speakers on cyber there who are talking. There's an Irish general who's working in the EU on cyber. There's a vice president of Dell uh, Computers and there's a, there's a university professor from Queen's, among other speakers there as well. I mean, these are really interesting discussions. And I mean, we do have to have a discussion on cyber because lots of the threats to cyber and to our computer systems are actually by other countries. That mm. have, that's a well-known factor around the mm. world. And that's, that's where we have to defend ourselves but as well. But Irish not. peacekeepers get blown up on the battle field because of her association with uh, the groups that are, are defending the cables uh, and uh, our cyber security. That was the point Richard Boyd Barrett was making. Look, I mean, I, I want to pay tribute to all of our peacekeepers and to remember those... But who are you putting them at risk by joining an alliance of this we, sort? We, we don't want to put them at, 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 at risk, but we do know that many peacekeepers have lost their lives over the years. I just think it's important to take a moment okay. to pay tribute to them. And I don't think that was the fault of NATO or anyone else. I mean, that was the fault of the, the people on the ground uh, who killed them uh, or who caused their death. Um, and that, I think, is just very, very important to remember that because they have served this country and the world very, very honourably uh, over the last few decades. Every time we've been a member, since the day we joined the, the UN, we've had Irish peacekeepers working for peace around the world, and we want to see that continue. We want to see that continue in a way uh, that continues to do credit uh, to the country, as they've always done. OK, I, ha- I have to leave there. Thank you both uh, indeed for joining us. Richard Boyd Barrett, I, I know that uh, you have your own forum uh, this evening, and many of them across the week, the first of them this evening in Liberty Hall, uh, where there'll be a lot of doves and not a hawk in sight, uh, I think, uh, that gets underway at half past six. Thank you both, as I say, for joining us Richard Boyd Barrett People Before Profit TD and Finnefall TD for me these Thomas Byrne who's Minister of State Michael Reed on LMFM What can be done to improve services uh, for uh, people with autism quite a, a lot it would seem from a report uh, that has been published from the Joint Committee on Autism in fact it makes 109 recommendations so let's speak uh, to local Sinn Féin TD in Louth and East Mead, Rory Murakou. Uh, a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. That's a, a lot of recommendations and there's a, a lot to the 109 recommendations, including the publishing of a strategy every three years uh, to look at, in detail at, at what can be done to help people with autism uh, enjoy better services. Exactly, Michael. And uh, I suppose you could reword all those 109, you know, every which way, and you could possibly have put in uh, 150, 160. But I, I think the idea within those 109 is that you're trying to cover all bases. And look, we all know the issue that exists. Like every parent that has an autistic kid knows how difficult it is to get services. But what we're talking about is something even more holistic. It's talking about how do we best in Ireland design our society, you know, from a universal design point of view, that we make it as easy as possible um, for those with autism to be able to transverse our uh, our society. That, and, and we're talking about mm. everything from education to regular health services to obviously the absolute necessity of making sure that you can get timely assessments, that the assessments are carried out in the correct way. 
and that you don't have to go to the the private sector for it. And and now we also need in the short term that if you need to go to the private sector, that you will be covered, that there will be public money for that. But beyond that, that you can get the correct form of, as I say, assessments and therapies. And look, we know... And it really is that families are falling down at the first hurdle, isn't it? Uh, Because this report uh, is not just recommending changes to how services are delivered. It's recommending that people should be able to access the first and very basic uh, of all of those services, uh, which is to assess a person's needs. Yeah, we're we're not starting from where we want to be. We all know how difficult it is to get an assessment of needs. We all know that even if you get lucky enough and after two, three years that you, you know what I mean, somebody gets that assessment, that you could be waiting a hell of a long time before you ever see a speech and language therapist or an occupational therapist or a psychologist or whatever whatever other service you, you need. You could be thrown between the children's disability network teams, primary care and uh, CAMS. Mm. And again, parents aren't particularly worried about all they want and what we have called for is you know, that there is no wrong door, there is one pathway that you can go through. We met, obviously, with with a number of stakeholders. We also met with officials uh, from Scotland, and they basically, when they deal with the issue of neurodivergence, it all goes through CAMS. Now, I know people will be frightened when they hear about CAMS, because we all know the difficulties that exist here. But I think it's just the idea that there's a single pathway and that's where you deal with assessments, and that's where you deal with therapies. And we also know that you need to put those therapies in the place where you'll get the best bang for buck for those children. Uh, And we're talking about most likely that stuff is in the educational setup. Now, what we really need across the board is that there's a plan, and that that plan is like a life plan, an educational plan, Mm. and that we allow from all the transitions, because it's obviously not just education. Mm. And and, And that we include people uh, of all ages who are on the spectrum, uh, young uh, and old. Uh, But if we're to realise inclusivity uh, and give uh, people the opportunity to participate in in everything uh, that we do in our day-to-day lives, uh, we need to accept those people. There, there, there is uh, a question over acceptance. Is there uh, and uh, a call for campaigns, uh, public information campaigns, so that we exactly. would become more accepting of people with autism? Exactly. Now, you, you got it right as well. It's it's all ages. Like we, like every, you'll even get government ministers that will tell you when you hit the age for adult services that you know the services fall off the edge of a cliff you know, whatever difficulties uh, exist. Now, see, before I I, I go on to that education piece, the only thing I need to say is what we need to do, and and all the speech and language therapists, occupational therapists, psychologists have told us, nobody has had a conversation with them, with their representative organisations from a point of view of, we all accept that the CDNTs don't have enough SLTs or OTs. We know that there's a whole pile of uh, positions that aren't filled. So we need to accept that that is the case at the minute. We need to see how is the best way we can provide what services we can in relation to assessment and therapies. And then we make sure that we have the workforce planning and the conditions in the HSE, the work conditions uh, piece right so we can not only recruit people but we can retain them but i've seen some improvements in society in the sense you know and obviously michael we've Mm. spoken before in relation to uh, my my son turlock who's who's autistic and i've seen where people 
will generally make reasonable accommodations and, and they will allow for circumstances a lot more than you would have even seen five, six, seven years ago. But we need to make sure that people are aware of how best you do that. That will be educational programs. It will be training programs. And, and I'm not talking about anything particularly mm. laborious. Like some of this is happening in Leinster House at the minute, you know, to make it, you know, autistic, uh, autism friendly. There will obviously be some pieces that need to be done in relation to the buildings, you know, as regards, you know, lighting and other issues that cause difficulties. But some of it is just realising you know, the problems that there can be with light, with noise, mm. and, and, you know, that you allow circumstances, I suppose, not... Like, we've often heard of, and I accept the difficulties that exist in um, accident and emergency settings, um, but, you know, where we've heard of autistic people being put outside because they can't cope with the particular set of circumstances that they're in, they become overwhelmed. So we, we have to try and create a circumstance where that doesn't happen. This okay. isn't going to be mm. straightforward. And that's why I put the question... Well, what's going to happen, I, I think, is the next question, because, I mean, we've had many reports from Oireachtas committees uh, that have uh, ended up lying on shelves for years on end and uh, the dust... Uh, getting thicker as the years went on with nothing done. Of course, the government could uh, accept the report and decide to implement the recommendations, but there are so many recommendations and it seems so complex from where I'm sitting that if the government was to do that, it, it would behove them, would it not, to uh, appoint uh, an individual who would have overall responsibility uh, for seeing them through. You mean someone like a, a, a czar? Yes. Uh, well, 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 there's an element of, as I said, we are not starting from a good place. So whatever is required needs to be looked at. And um, the, the fact is, in fairness to this committee, what they have sought first and foremost is that like this, that this committee's work technically is finished. It produces the report. But we, everyone said from the very beginning, and here I sort of attached myself to this committee and mm. um, just because of the important work that it was doing, obviously from a Sinn Féin perspective, Pauline Tully and Pat Buckley were, were already on it. Mm. And as I say, I would give... Uh, I would. I can only say good things about Michal Carragy in relation to his chairmanship of of the committee. And very, the, the first point that I got from this committee was, we need something to be put in place after. If that is an all party committee that re- remains from a point of view of reviewing and ensuring that there is some sort of what would you call it, accountability, leverage that is placed on whatever government is in place from a point of view of ensuring that we carry out the absolute necessary um, recommendations in this from a point of view of making our society the place it should be that makes it better and easier for Mm. autistic people to live and operate within it. So that's what needs to happen. It's also the reason why I literally went straight from um, I went straight from the launch of the report in to ask the Taoiseach mm. um, what his plans were. Now he has said that he obviously intends to meet with the chair that he hadn't, because we were only launching it that morning, that he hadn't read the recommendations he was aware of, it, that there was obviously over a hundred. Now I said this needs to be built into the budgetary uh, process. There's obviously uh, in fairness Anne Rabbit was at the, uh, was at the launch so there's a huge uh, there's there's huge pressure on government to see, to look at those parts they can initiate straight away and look we all know mm. we can do better in relation to assessments and therapies but they're the piece I would like to be done straight away okay. and then we can put best practice in place and. Um, 
for for the long term. And then we do need to make sure that this committee or some committee remains in place, that you make sure you keep uh, whatever government is in place absolutely honest. And okay. I, I don't think it'll come as a shock to you that I think you would need a, a fairly strong committee to keep this government honest. <laughs> well, uh, we'll take that as a statement. Um, uh, you uh, Just while you're with us, uh, I'll briefly ask you about uh, another issue that uh, you've raised many times over. Uh, I think Eamon Ryan recognised that when you put the question to him uh, last week about Carlin Hall uh, and uh, the ongoing problems there. Uh, what did the Minister have to say to you about the big bills that people have been paying? Right. Well, look, at this point in time, I obviously wanted a number of interventions to be made a a lot earlier. We all accept that these communal heating systems that were only in Britain and Ireland and that ended up getting fed by gas were another disaster that I and I've said for a long time, the legislation needs to be put in place, which I think it has been in Britain to actually make sure we don't have continuity of this, which I hear at times is happening in certain places. I know there's huge amounts of flat complexes and whatever in Dublin that have the same problems, let's say, that Carolyn Hall has. So in fairness, there was a geothermal uh, review or study carried out in Carolyn Hall. Now, I have been both privately and publicly looking for this report. Now, we're hearing that it's it's obviously going to be, it's in two parts. I think at the end of this month, we will have the first part and that will have um, two things, recommendations on the heat network efficiency, but the big one is what they're calling options for a low carbon heat alternative, you know, and we at that stage, we will have a layout of uh, the cost of installation and operation. Look, we need to see that as soon as possible, yeah. because even when that's in play, even when that's in place, play, the difficulty will be that government can't exactly, I know that there are rules and constraints. Mm-hmm. We're probably talking about a third party provider who will have to provide this geothermal uh, system. We uh, Therefore, uh, we'll have a management company and we'll have frontline energy who will need to be involved in, in the conversation. And we will probably need to make sure that the government have a grant scheme that can actually deliver this. Right, the second part is meant to happen of this report at the end of uh, at the end of the summer. And what do they call this? The main learning on heat network carbonisation. And uh, look, uh, I, I would like that there had been a bit more detail in relation to, you know, what that actually means. Mm. Um, and, and maybe it's only at that stage that we're going to see something closer to, to the business end. But look, this is an issue that I won't let go. And I know the wider issue in relation to communal heating systems is an issue that uh, many other deputies have also brought up in my own party and, and, in, and in other parties. And these reports look, will feed into the thinking, no doubt. Well, uh, Eamon Ryan has spoken about mm-hmm. how great, and we all accept, district heating systems are great, particularly mm. if you're talking about big industrial setups, even some of the data centres we have, that you would use their waste heat to heat homes. That makes complete sense to mm. everybody. These particular systems that were meant to be fed by some form of biomass ended up being fed by gas. Gas went through the roof and there were no protections for individuals. That doesn't work for for absolutely anybody. And on some level, you could say this is the Achilles heel of district heating. So the government and Eamon Ryan and everyone else have absolute no choice but to at least facilitate 
um, some sort of solution and it's not an okay. issue that I'm willing to drop in any way shape or form. Yeah, well the Minister I think said to you he'll uh, have more to say when he has sight of uh, this report. We'll leave it there for the moment though. Thank you indeed for joining us. Thank you. Rory Murku, Sinn Féin TD for Louth and East Meath. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, some comments uh, about neutrality. Sean is in Dublin 9. He says Higgins is uh, talking sense. This is uh, the President comments uh, to the Business Post yesterday. Uh, Sean says, who wants a NATO base beside their town and hundreds of US Army personnel and nuclear ballistic missiles pointed at Russia? Are we totally mad, Sean says. Uh, and he also says, don't forget to lock up your daughters. Uh, but he says that's uh, just by way of a joke. Thanks, uh, Sean, for that. Uh, somebody else says, Michael, please look closely at those countries who are in NATO. Who elected these individuals to represent the people of the world? The president is right, and I applaud him for saying what he has said. Thank you to our caller there. That's a WhatsApp message. Michael Navin says, we welcome President Biden into the country, and the people enjoyed his visit. Uh, as we do with other world leaders, because we are a neutral country. But if we weren't a a neutral country, when we'd see presidents coming here, we'd be sceptical of what communications would be taking place and maybe our welcomes would be more strained, says Michael. Uh, Patton County County Monaghan says uh, they must be trying to scare people into their way of thinking when they're broadcasting it live. Paddy Duffy says, Michael, by the end of 2023, it's estimated that the Republic of Ireland will be the wealthiest country in the world by GDP per capita so how the hell can any government stand over our housing homelessness excessive rents health education and all of the other social problems that we have we're being shafted by successive governments and they've been getting away with it the time has already passed for the majority to elect a government that represents all of our people and not just the vested interests and the select few these people are holding us back from becoming a true republic as is envisaged in particular in the fourth paragraph of the 1916 proclamation. Come on, Ireland, we can get this right, says Paddy Duffy. Thanks, Paddy. Uh, maybe you should stand for election. Uh, the people will vote for the government that they get. I don't think anybody will argue with that, Paddy. Thank you indeed, though, for your message. Our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, readers of uh, the Meath Chronicle will be aware this week uh, that Meath County Council has been asked to look at Knockboyne House. This is uh, the former Randall's property at Limekillen on the Dublin Road in Navan for providing emergency accommodation. Alan Laws is an independent councillor and on the line. A very good morning to you, Alan. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. You'd see this as an exciting opportunity. Yeah, good morning, Michael. Um, I've read through the, the, the proposal put forward to me at County Council by uh, Wilton Way, and it's um, it, 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 it's a great project. It, it's a project, if you remember back in 2016, I, I think it was uh, Simon Coveney and our own TV Damien uh, families that uh, uh, they wouldn't have to live in hotels anymore. If this project is delivered, Complying that with the families' hubs provided by um, and the Father McFaggy Trust on Flower Hill, we might be in a position uh, to to deliver that promise that no more families will be staying in hotels. 
and it's not only staying in a, a hotel or it's staying in a, in, a, in a facility that offers the surrounds supports that families so badly need so they mm. can get out of home so, and, and exit homeless more, more yeah, well, explain and, the facility for people who haven't seen the Mead Chronicle I mean it's a, a grand old country house isn't it it is a grand old country house, and I, I visited. I visited the house with um, one of the directors of Wilton Way and had a look at the property. And uh, they they are able to tell me that looking at the property with the vast experience of, of building that they have, that they would be able to get that property uh, ready within weeks. And what they're talking about in the first phase, mm. it may county council was a sign up to a contract with them is that we could provide uh, eight ensuite uh, bedrooms, uh, a communal a communal room meeting rooms, a kitchen and a large garden, an uh, outdoor play area and a sensory mm. area for children. And, and it certainly would be a large garden. That large garden then in the oh, second yes, phase would be, used to, uh, would be used to construct more housing. Yeah, you're talking about you're talking about two bedroom two bedroom units, and, and I, I, I know uh, LMFM was at the last Mark Patricia was at the last uh, County Council meeting, or sorry and where Barry Lynch said, that's actually, we're short of one bedroom and two bedroom units. So if we went to the second phase, uh, Wilton Way are promising to deliver in around 20 two bedroom units that they would lease back to the council. So, mm. you know, all in all, this project is a marvellous project and it's an opportunity for me to, uh, to actually lead the way when it comes to providing homeless services, Michael. And, you know, it, it's very encouraging this year. Uh, Mead County Council also back in April announced that they were looking at uh, uh, getting a hostel uh, for homeless men and they were looking at providing that hostel as well. So it's great now that Mead County Council are coming on board and, and they're looking at homeless service with the same enthusiasm that they're looking at tourism, they're looking at inward investment and, and it's brilliant to be doing that. I, I, I would love this project to get off the ground and I have to say, if it does, Michael, and if the council sign up to a contract with Wilton Way, we will be leading the way in homeless services for families in, in, in the country. And as you've seen by the article as well, Wilton Way are willing to roll this out across the country. Um, so, you know, it, it was great for me, Chronicle, mm. gave the, for, the front page spread to this. And, and as, as you could see, I mean, it shows that the 3.9 acre site and to be able to take the tram out of homelessness for children would be fantastic. To think that you know, if you look at the figures, if you look at the figures from, um, from let me see, sorry now. Okay. If you look at the figures uh, from April, we had 94 children living in emergency accommodation and we had 92 families. Uh, back in February, there was 81 families with 84 children. So we're actually increasing the number of children hope homeless services between February and April. And every indication is, even though, you know, the building projects and the building of council houses is, is mm. really picking up, the indications still are that there's more uh, landlords exiting the market, Michael, and mm. the indications are that there'll be more families coming into emergency accommodation. So if you were had the ability to get this project off the ground, mm. like I say... Well, it would be a very unusual project. Uh, I, I don't think you'd deny that. I mean, it is a, a grand old country house, Alan. It'd be very unusual yeah. to see it uh, providing accommodation to homeless people, eight ensuite bedrooms, as you say, and that would be the first phase. Going to the second phase, uh, where these 26 houses would be built... Um, but what what happens then? Would there be any obligation on Wilton Way to continue to offer accommodation at Knockboyne House, or could it sell up Knockboyne House at the time that it sells the new housing to the council? Well, again, they're looking at leasing back. I don't I don't think this is a forced project, um, Michael, to mm. lease back 
houses to the council. So, I mean, I'd, I'd imagine the council's legal people would voice them what sort of contract they're going to sign, and it has to be secure for the people that live in there, mm. and for me, county council, it has to be a benefit for us but all. But is this a way of getting planning permission for the 26 houses, I wonder? has residential planning. Now that has mm. to be that has to, to, to be, be approved. Into, but yeah. again, the people with Wilton Way have experience of providing accommodation like this. Mm. They already did in, in Dublin uh, for Ukraine. Sure, and, uh, and I'm not questioning that. I just wonder if Knockboyne House will continue to be part of the accommodation or if uh, when the 26 houses are, are built and people move into them that they'll stop providing accommodation at Knockboyne House because that it's would... It's been looked on. It's been looked Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Looked on as a transitionary kind yeah. of period mm. that you'd go into Knock Lion House first. Yeah. And mm. um, you transition from there into your, your two-bedroom mm. uh, accommodation units, and then you transition from there into permanent accommodation. I feel that's the proposal that's putting forward to the council, that you transition. You, you, you would help these people. You would put all the surround supports in place uh, for people that you've experienced in homelessness, whether it be from you know the landlord selling up, whether it be from domestic violence, whether it be from family breakdown. Uh, we would hope to provide all the supports needed to get this family back, these families back into permanent accommodation, that they mm. won't re-enter homelessness at any stage. That's what it's been explained to me that the project will be about. There will be people transitioning from the main house into the two-bedroom units and then into permanent accommodation. OK. Um, I, I suppose this is still uh, under consideration. Yeah. It, 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 at, at the council's meeting last Monday, um, the council did... Uh, agree with me that they will they will look to assess this project and I would hope that if you look at what the, the Randalls did um, for, for me I mean, when you look at what they did for especially vulnerable people back in the 60s and the 70s I think it'd be it'd be a great legacy to them to carry on this project to look at vulnerable people again and look after them very very well 
Okay, we leave there and thank you indeed, Alan Laws, independent councillor on Meath County Council. Now, as you know, retained firefighters who are local authority workers have suspended industrial uh, action uh, for the time being to enter into talks today with uh, the Workplace Relations Commission. Those talks are underway as we speak. But before we came on air this morning, uh, I spoke to Kieran Finn, station officer at Ashburn Fire Cent- uh, Station. And, and I asked Kieran uh, if he felt optimistic going into those talks. I hope so. It seems to be the last resort in it. Um, we've been shouting out for talks for the last few weeks, and it's four weeks now since we announced this industrial action. It's kind of last minute going in. And the negotiating committee are meeting the Labour Court at 10 o'clock this morning, and then the LGMA are in for 2 o'clock. So hopefully, by shortly after lunchtime, we have some sort of indication of how things are going. Hmm. Uh, is there any basis for the talks? Uh, because there is no basis for discussing pay uh, uh, or uh, listening to your pay claims at this stage, is there? Well, they did a report um, that was issued late last year on recommendations. And one of the recommendations on it says that we need a new framework for the service delivery that provides remuneration which is effectively balanced, balanced the availability requirements and the various activity of different stations. We have to go somewhere with paying this. And Darrell Breen was in the door last week, and we, or Darryl Bryan, sorry, um, we were in with him and listening from the public gallery. And effectively, what he offered us was a pay cut. He offered, yes, you could have essentially 20 weeks a year, he was talking about off, that we wouldn't have to go for calls. But if he takes away 20 weeks of years of us going for calls, um, we'll use, lose 20 weeks of pay which is a 40% pay cut in that call out rate. Mm. It's, not, it's not a pay increase we're looking for as such. It's a total new model for how we're paid. I understand the key outstanding issue on this dispute is the retainer payment. I want to give some context to that before trying to move it forward. Every member of the House is familiar with public service agreements and how they work. You all know that the rates of pay for public sector employees are set by collective agreements. They're put in place to ensure that public sector pay is managed sustainably and in a climate of industrial peace. In practice, this means that despite what I or union representatives might like to see as the ideal scenario, it's not within our gift to make an exception or to operate outside the terms of the national public pay service policy. What did you think of what Darrell O'Brien had to say? Because it would give you the impression that there is no scope for negotiation on pay now. Well, this is what they seem to be saying, but their own report, which was commissioned before the current round of um, building momentum came out, it, it obviously stated the system has to change, the whole model has to change in it. And we can't go on as we are. We are absolutely hemorrhaging people around the country. Mm. And this has gone on for years and years. Unless something happens with it, we, we are going to fall apart as a service. Like in need, the 73 firefighters covering a population of 195,000. And we're just burnt out. And if we lose 10, 15 of them, stations are beginning to fall apart. Navin Station hasn't been a two-pump station, which it's meant to be, for the last three or four months now, because we can't get feet on the ground to get the trucks out the door. Okay, uh, and there are undoubtedly problems. Uh, you were scheduled to take full 
strike action from tomorrow. You haven't lifted the notice of uh, strike action going into these talks. So if the talks aren't successful, I take it that the strike will proceed as planned. It will. Now, we have to offer contingency planning uh, and tie in the management's contingency planning on it. Um, and there has been a list put out that we'll attend all life-threatening calls. Now, that, that list is quite large, I'll be quite honest, which is probably larger than we were expecting. Um, and it's listed an awful lot of things that we wouldn't necessarily consider life-threatening calls. But mm. uh, for the moment, that's the list that stands until such time as we sit down and, and have a fresh look at it. And but it, it would include items like a motorbike fire. It'd be very unusual a motorbike fire, and it would be a, a life-threatening call. So that's where we stand at the moment. But you will have to respond, uh, as you say, under circumstances that you wouldn't have otherwise uh, expected. But uh, having said that, do you believe that you'll be on strike tomorrow if there isn't a resolution or some path forward uh, agreed at the talks today? Well, yeah, look, as I said, there's 73 firefighters in need. Mm. We've given our entire lives 24-7. Yeah. But the Minister has said, and I'm not arguing the case with you, the Minister has said pay is not up for discussion. There's no prospect of discussing pay outside of the public sector pay talks. So if you're hit with that brick wall today, does that mean that the strike will proceed? It means the strike will proceed and people will start leaving. If that's the brick wall and we're going to be left in limbo with this, stations around the country are going to start closing within weeks. Okay. That's the sad fact. Uh, um, and no doubt that will cause a lot of concern, uh, even if you have to respond to calls such as the motorbike on fire, where maybe you weren't expecting that there would be that level of response. But there will be concern about firefighters going on strike. But it, it, it's, look, it's not just pay, it, it's also the time off. It's also that time that we can go and talk to people, we can take our time off. And, and the minister said himself um, he was offering us 20 weeks and 20 weeks sounds like an absolutely fantastic deal. But we work 24-7 so 20 weeks brings us down to a 40 and a half hour working day 365 days a week. There's no one else putting in the level we are. And we can wait till October and try and tie in with everyone else. Come October we'll be whitewashed again and walked over like you have been every other day. There's no one in the history, in working the first now who can remember the strike and there's no one to remember how passionate people were but things have to change and it's not just for us Look, my years in the fire service are nearly over but it's for the new people coming in it's those we need to keep on board Okay, Kieran. I'm sure nobody wants to strike and I'm sure everybody hopes that the talks are Please successful follow. today and uh, thank you indeed uh, for taking the call Thanks a million, take care that's Kieran Finn, station officer at Ashburn Fire Station. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's speak uh, to Ivan Mladimic, who, who lives in Drogheda. Good morning, Ivan. Thanks uh, for coming on to the programme uh, today. You've a story to tell after you went out for a walk on Saturday uh, and uh, came across uh, some unruly young people. Tell, tell, tell us about your experience, if you would be so good, please. Yeah, good morning, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, I mean, it was rather unpleasant, you know. It's just the fact that, you know, these young people, I mean, teenagers mostly, I guess, that are, you know, spending their time at the bus station and just hanging around uh, on the platform or sitting on the wall of the bus station, I don't even know. Um, it's it's kind of weird. I guess they're bored or whatnot, and we were passing, and, you know, they started first just by, you know, throwing some 
unsavory comments, but then they started throwing rocks and, um, you know, we went for a walk, we came back and I just decided because it was about a year ago, there was a similar situation on the, on the, on the steps nearby where they were also throwing rocks. Um, and I was kind of thinking like, who are these people? And then I saw them later on with their parents and, and I was, talking with some neighbors and, and stuff like that. But, but it was it was a one-off, as I thought. And they were throwing rocks I, at you a year ago, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah. It okay, was again and again. Throwing, okay. Yeah. And you, but, you, you, uh, you, you know these uh, young fellas, do you? Well, those later on, I, I found out who they were. But that's not so okay. much important. Like okay. this time when, you know, when we coming back, I kind of decided, let, look, let's, I'm going to record them and mm. and then try to find out who they are because this is, you know, I really yeah. want to know. And I, I saw your video. I, I'd say these kids are 16, 17 years of age. Uh, would that be your read of it? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Okay. I, I, that's my estimation. Throwing rocks well. at you. And maybe we should tell people that uh, you were with your husband walking your dog on Saturday. Uh, and uh, we're... Uh, the kids uh, being homophobic uh, in the comments that they made was this a homophobic attack well it was uh, it was all sorts of things that they were saying and i really don't understand where it's coming from you know it was it was so many things it was uh, i'm going to rape your dog uh, it is the one that really confused the mm. hell out of me uh, i mean raping dogs it's so weird um it was you know it was gay bastards uh, faggot bastards! Uh, we're gonna chase you out, out of Ireland. Uh, I mean, mm. it's it's yeah. terrible. And and these sort of ideas that these young people have—that's the most disturbing thing. Mm. So they threw a bit, is, of, bit of threw a bit of racism in, in with the homophobia, uh, xenophobia, like all, yeah. all sorts of things that they're just like I don't think they're fully aware of the, what they're saying. Like, mm. you, you know, you're you're from out. you're you're from Croatia, Ivan. Originally, yes. yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I grew up in Germany. Um, after the war, I, I moved there and uh, uh, war at the Balkans, I'm sure you're aware, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I didn't like staying in Croatia. I didn't like that I needed to go to the military and things like that. <laughs> mm. uh, but, you know, even growing up in, in, in Germany, you know, in, in cities that are much bigger than Dublin, you see these people, these young people, uh, older people that stay in bus stations, linger in, in uh, train stations and, mm. and so on uh, in front of 24-hour uh, uh, convenience stores and stuff like that. But, but the, the, the problem with these people is that that's where they'll spend most of their lives. Mm. That's it. This is their whole life. This is where, where they're going to, you know, they're going to grow up there. They're going to start drinking there. They're going to, mm. you know, they're going to end their... And start throwing, rocks and, start throwing rocks and start throwing rocks and abusively calling our, after people who are just uh, doing no harm to anybody, going about your daily business, walking your dog. Well, uh, take it from there, because you, you, you said you began to film them on your mobile phone. That didn't go down well, with these chumflers. No, no. They, they started, you know, running after us. And uh, like I said, I didn't do it with intention of sharing it with the guard eye. I, I think there, there's another way to go here. I'm, I'm sharing this with various outlets, with, with people I know, to share them amongst themselves so we can find out who these people are, see, see what their situation is. Also, before, I really want to know before, you know, taking this 
further down the line. And, you know, when they started chasing us, um, it just got kind of escalated. They, you know, they started throwing punches and, and uh, rocks, even bigger rocks, like huge rocks, like a proper rock. Um, and it was, it, it so happened so fast in like in a minute, you know, it just mm. like the, the vitriol, uh, the things that they were saying just became worse. Mm. Uh, somehow, you know, even accusing us of being pedophiles, and, and oh. which is mm. completely like, you know, um, it's and all of these things, the the ideas that they're having, you know, like. Mm. And you wear you wear assault, you wear assaulted. You were punched. Uh, I could see on your video, uh, both you well, and your husband were punched, uh, or at least it looked that way. But you you were also hit by a big rock, one of those big rocks that you're talking about. Uh, you were assaulted. Uh, uh, what sort of damage did that do to you? Well, look, I mean, it's, uh, I have uh, my, my left side of the face, like, it's, it's a bit swollen because, like, I was uh, in, a, in a push and shove with this, this guy, and then his friend came from the left and just punched me in the head. So um, that's why I'm kind of like... Nice. Well, I, I was more swollen over the weekend. Yeah. Kind of, not, not, know, not terribly serious, but very upsetting uh, and uh, indeed uh, embarrassing, I'd imagine, to some degree. You've gone into work uh, this morning. I'm sure everybody's saying, what happened to you? Were you out fighting? <laughs> well, look, yeah, I mean, they, we already, they already knew, like, over the weekend, what's, you know, we keep in touch. But, uh, and, I mean, I do work locally here as well, so... Uh, yeah. But but I wanted to say just the, the idea of, you know, the, these ideas that, that come from hate, that come from frustration, it, it pains me to see this with someone so young, you know. I mean, it's different when you hear something like, you know, go back to your country, like from, from uh, uh, I don't know, 40-year-old, like 50, 60-year-old uh, in Dublin who, who's, you know, on, on the dole, has nothing better to do, just drinking all day and, and you know, spews hatred comments your way you kind of know like okay this person is frustrated i get it you know i know where the hate is coming from but these people this you know their lives are just starting and this is not the right path this is so discerning and 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 Mm -hmm. like it pains me to see them and when i was walking away i was just kind of looking at them and like i had this sadness for them, and and I still do. I'm really, I'm, I'm just so sad for them. Mm. And I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, I love the response that I had, that I got from from various council members. I'm gonna meet with them. Um, we're gonna try to find an answer for this. Maybe you know, it's local authorities and community leaders just need to work with various organizations. You know, there, there's the Irish Youth Foundation. There's, there's a Youth Work Ireland. There's, uh, there's National Youth Council of Ireland. Uh, there's ICON, Inner City Organization Network. Um, but you know, funny thing, it's Inner City, but Drogheda is not a city, and that might be also part of the problem. It's hard to to get a hold of funding, proper funding, you know, and, and appropriate it. Uh, so I think what really needs to happen, like apart from Drogheda getting a status of a city, is just 
working on these community service pro- projects, get, get educate the youth. You've impressed me, I have to say, Ivan, because you were attacked, uh, you were assaulted, you were punched, uh, you uh, had a, a rock hit your head and do the damage that it did. Your mobile phone got smashed up, your husband's glasses were broken uh, and um, you certainly uh, had to endure a, a lot of abuse from the terrible things uh, that, that they were shouting at both of you on Saturday when you were just out walking the dog. But your big concern this morning is young people who were doing this to you. Uh, and you're asking who is doing what to reach out to these people. Uh, and quite a quite a, a lot should be done. Uh, we had a, a, an awful problem, as people listening will remember, with uh, the drugs gangs and the feuds uh, and indeed the beatings and the killings and so on and so forth. And a lot of promises made to reach out to exactly the type of young people that you encountered, uh, unfortunately had to encounter and uh, endure uh, their behaviour. Uh, but uh, you're also asking, what is being done? Uh, what about those promises? Uh, and how are we trying to reach out to those kids so that don't they don't spend their lives growing up around the bus station? Exactly, exactly. Because this is, this is completely the wrong path. This is so heartbreaking. Like... Uh, you know, this is if this is the extent of their lives, it's just going to stay like this. Like I've seen people like this, you know, and, and they will go into adulthood and, and they will grow old and not much will change. Only the hatred would grow. And that's we need to find the root cause. I don't want to point the finger at, at the parents or, or the school system. Like there has to be there has to be a reason why these things keep happening with the youth. Um, well, not all youth. Uh, there's, you know, there, there's of course the, the the great, you know, younger people that are, you know, skateboarding or, or doing other things around the park, which is like completely mm-hmm. fine and, and good on them. But but this just hanging around the bus station, uh, just you know, spewing mm-hmm. hate. It's 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 so disheartening. It yeah. really is. In the video that you sent, there was one particular lad, uh, I, I would put him at 17, my guess is that he's about 17, uh, and he seemed fearless, a, a leader, if you like, uh, who seemed uh, to uh, be speaking for the group and then confronted you head on and started punching you uh, and so on. Um, really, very young age uh, and very disturbing uh, to see the anger in that young person so much anger I- in that young person but exactly. do you have ideas um, because there's a, a group of experts who have been set up to look at reaching out to young people do you have uh, ideas as to what they could be doing to reach a young person like that someone who, who is that angry well yeah I mean look this is this is all about like finding what's what's happening what's the cause here is this uh, is this person like prone to it was this do you think that these people had alcoholic drinks before or something do you think this was fueled maybe also by alcohol because i don't know this feels like it felt so strange there was you know like you said he was doing the all of these things like basically showing off in front of the group of his friends they were cheering him on like this was some sort of performance like like you know this is not about you know this is not how you show that you're a man or something you know what i mean mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i don't know how to put it uh this is you're not supposed to show strength 
in this way, you know, uh, you're, I'm, I'm fearful that this person, like, you know, saying I'm going to rape your something, whatever, calling out rape is never a good indication of anything. Like, I don't know what this person is going to do to his partner down the line uh, if he continues down this path. So I am... Or himself. You know, mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but it, it does start with oneself. And, and you know, uh, I don't know what he's angry about. And But there's there's other things, you know, there's... Uh, not, I'm not only talking about counseling and, and support services. Uh, I may be talking about like maybe also refocusing that that energy into I don't know sports and recreation programs, maybe some sort of multimedia campaigns that can be set up in in uh, community centers, you know, where where they can express themselves creatively and produce I don't know videos, podcasts, social content, like something that promotes respect, uh, understanding. Inclusivity. I mean, it's uh, we are part of European Union. Mm. There is there is a global change happening where you know we are unifying. We have dictators and 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 crazy people on one side, and we have this unification that is starting. And we need to be on the right side of history. We I, need to. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, Ivan, you're the first person I've met uh, who had been assaulted, uh, who has been asking for help for the people who assaulted you. Uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's a marvelous way of looking at the world under the circumstances, because you must have been shook up by the whole thing. Uh, it was, or it appeared to me to be quite intimidating, and undoubtedly it was, given that uh, you were assaulted uh, with bricks and all that sort of stuff. Well, you know, look, it's the part of, you know, being different, being a minority, is you experience these sort of things. You know, I don't want to say that I'm used to it, but there's, there's sort of, an experience, let's call it, you know, in, in what happens and why it happens. And also, I have this, you know, it's part of my job as well to get to the root cause analysis of problems. And I'm always analytical like that. I, I was analytical in, in, in while studying and, and finishing college and, and getting degrees, and, and I'm still analytical in my job. And Really, we need to see what's driving this. We need to find, we need to find a, a solution or, or propose solution, mm-hmm. adapt some sort of solution before it's too late. Because this, this spreads, you know, hatred and 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 you know, the, this spreads faster than than anything. It's, okay. it's like wildfire, and yeah. it's, it it shouldn't be made like an example of of you know how you show off and, and how you show your coolness, if you will, to, to your friend group or whatever. Because if you're impressed with this, there's something deeply wrong in your environment. You've given us all a, a lot to think about this morning. Ivan, uh, thank you indeed uh, for contacting us over the weekend and for joining well, us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Michael. Thank you indeed. Uh, that's Ivan Miladimic, uh, who lives in Drogheda. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you've been hearing uh, this morning, uh, the state pension uh, should be 34% of average earnings, which means it's €53 a week short as this 
uh, as things stand. Uh, this is uh, according to the Pension Promise Coalition. Age Action is a, a member of uh, that coalition. Celine Clark, Head of Advocacy and Public Affairs with Age Action Ireland, joins us now. Good morning to you, Celine. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, on uh, the programme uh, this morning. You're calling uh, for the government to increase the budget, uh, the pension in the next budget by €30 Euro a week as a, a starting point. That's right. Thank you for having Age Action on to talk to you about the Pension Promise Coalition this morning. So we are asking for €30 Euro increase in the budget um, on the top end of the state pension this year, building towards the 34% benchmark that the, has been promised and spoken about since 1998, in fact. And benchmarking the state pension would take the politics out of it. It would mean that people would have more security each year. They would know how much their pension would increase because it would be linked to um, 34% of average earnings. And what that does then is people know um, year on year what the potential money will be for the rest of the year and for their budget. They're not waiting then for the Minister for Finance to stand up on budget day to say whether you have a five or a 12 euro on the state pension and it also means that people's incomes um, in older age isn't part of a political football every budgetary process. Right, what would that cost? About 2 billion? Yeah, and it's affordable um, currently. Um, absolutely, it is affordable given the, the tax take that the country has. But it's also sustainable because it means that if it's legislated for, if we legislate for the benchmark, it means then that there's a target at which we always have to have that amount of money in order to be able to support the state pension. And the state pension is the bedrock of the social protection system. Nobody thinks that the state pension is going to provide you a life of luxury. But what it is meant to do is provide provide you a life of dignity. It is meant to keep you out of poverty and unfortunately it's not doing that at the moment. The recent survey of income and living conditions which happens um, at state level showed that one in five people over the age of 65 were at risk of poverty um, in 2022 and one in which is it was only one in 10 two years ago. So you can imagine if the state pension had been indexed at 34% of average earnings, this wouldn't be happening. We wouldn't see so many people falling at risk of poverty. And we talked last week about mm. people living alone. One in three people living alone are now at risk of poverty. Okay, but um, do people not have a, a personal responsibility in this? If people are at risk of poverty, is it because they didn't make provision for retirement? A lot of people plan for retirement. They'd have private pensions apart from their own pension, they uh, end up paying off their mortgage so they don't have accommodation costs, they would have other savings and other ways uh, of uh, living through their older years. Yes, some people will be well insulated um, when they retire uh, from work, definitely. They will be have had a job where they're able to maybe pay into a private pension or have an occupational pension. But many don't. M- the majority of people um, over the age of 65 in Ireland depend on the state pension and social protection for their income. Um, the state pension will provide a floor. It's a safety net. For those of us that can afford to have an additional pension, that's grand. But in Ireland, the majority of us do not have a private pension um, at all. So we rely on the state pension and mm-hmm. that's why it's critically important. But we're also seeing an increasing is number that of negligent people renting. Uh, I'm sorry, Selena. I suppose that's the question I'm asking. Why don't people uh, have other means uh, other than relying on the state pension uh, is that not negligence on, on their part not to have made provision for retirement I wouldn't say it's negligence I think it's about 
different opportunities. Some people will have the opportunity because they'll have a better job and a better income to be able to put money aside for the retirement mm. and others won't. Like a lot of people, particularly women, are in low paid work um, and a lot of people don't have the choice to be able to continue working past the age of 66 because there's mandatory retirement clauses or there's ageism in the workplace or they're not well enough to be able to work. Um, but we accept that the state pension age eligibility is 66 in this country and what we need to make sure now is that it's an adequate income. So a first step to that is about legislating for a benchmark um, for the state pension. Mm. Uh, um, Ireland has one of the lowest um, replacement earnings for when we come into retirement So uh, in the EU. So we have quite low um, amount of money to replace what we would have earned when we leave work. Um, and so people really do depend on that. But also our lives are changing. More of us will not be homeowners. And so when we're talking about um, benchmarking the state pension, it's a step towards the pension reform that we need to provide flexibility and choice for us all in older age. OK, if uh, the government decides to spend €2 billion Euro and increase the pension by €30 Euro a, a week, uh, will it also be able to cut taxes in the way that it hopes? Well, I think that's the, the question now facing the government. It's about a choice that they're going to have to make. But it is affordable at the current level of tax take to be able to benchmark the state pension and begin to build towards that 34%. So we've seen that the pension has lost purchasing power of €19 Euro since 2020. Mm. We talked about this last year. All of people's incomes, whether it's your, your salary or your savings or your pension or whatever, has lost purchasing power. And for those people who depend on social protection, that is a significant amount of money. Like there was a €12 Euro increase in pension last year, but it was essentially a cut in the living standards of older people because it wasn't worth the 12 euro that it would have been in 2020. So mm. that's why the benchmarking is critically important. It's a target for us to work towards. It's something that we know from an exchequer level that we have to have that money available to be able to pay for the state pension. There are other reforms being introduced such as auto-enrolment that when you have a job you're automatically enrolled into a pension system and that's been introduced and, and that's a way of trying to pr- make sure that we are putting money aside we have to think about this, you know, when you when mm. you start working in your teens, your 20s, your 30s, you have to imagine the kind of life that you're going to have when you leave work. And that's what we're, we're like, part of the Pension Promise campaign is to get the benchmark, but it's also to raise people's awareness of the need to plan for when you're not working and the kind of life that you can expect. And we know currently that many older people cannot make ends meet relying on the state pension. It is inadequate for what they need to make their meet their basic needs. Okay, we're somewhat behind, aren't we? Uh, Five years behind uh, fulfilling this commitment, uh, which should have been at the end of 2018, to benchmark pension rates at 34% of average earnings. Uh, That would be €53. You're saying start with €30 this week. Uh, And um, you're on the road as such with uh, this campaign. You'll be in Monaghan next month. We'll be in Monaghan, yeah. We have uh, several um, sessions now and people are invited to come out on the 7th of July, Friday the 7th of July, no, sorry, Monday the 7th of July in the West Enra Hotel, 11am to 1pm. Um, anyone in the Monaghan area that would like to come and support the campaign or learn more about it, um, please do join us.
Okay, Celine, thank you indeed uh, for joining us this morning. Celine Clark is Head of Advocacy and Public Affairs with Age Action Ireland. Let me bring you a, a couple of uh, the comments coming to us about uh, the attack on Ivan, his husband, and indeed their dog in Drogheda on Saturday. Betty Daly says, these little man yeans should be treated as small men when they get into trouble. Look at how many people were stabbed to death recently by 14 or 15 year olds and they get away with with murder and the parents should be accountable for them too, says Betty. Thank you for that. Christine says, it is disgraceful what happened to that couple. When we were young, you wouldn't dare speak to or treat people that way. What kind of parents have these young people got? God only knows what they will do down the line and shame on them. Thank you, Christine and uh, Betty. As I say, if you'd like to make a comment on the programme today, there is still time and we would love to hear from you. As always, our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 086 one 658 Email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. I suppose we should all expect a minimum essential standard of living. What is that? Well, that is uh, something that uh, the Vicentian um, ESL Research Centre at St. Vincent de Paul has been looking at uh, and they say that over the course of the last year uh, that the minimum essential standard of living has increased by 10 or 18.9% over the last three years or if you're just talking about food a food basket has increased by over 20% and an energy basket in uh, rural in urban areas rather has increased by 67.8% let's speak uh, to Hannah Boylan MESL researcher with uh, the Vincentian MESL Centre at SVP a very good morning to you Hannah and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning Uh, I don't think anybody will be surprised to hear that there's been a huge huge increase in the cost of living. But what does that mean for people uh, who are on the margins? Are they able to enjoy a minimum essential standard of living? Um, so what our report found this year, as you mentioned there, that the average mass of basket has increased by um, 10.6% across the country. Um, so what we found when we look at um, income adequacy for households reliant on social welfare we found that um, the majority of households. So we look at about uh, we look at 214 example household cases reliant on social welfare income, and our findings show our findings show that um, the majority of these households now are um, have an inadequate income. So their that minimum level is not being met. So the minimum level kind of refers to um, a standard of living that you should uh, no one should be expected to live below to meet your your social your physical and your psychological needs at a minimum socially acceptable level in Ireland today um so we found that the majority of households on a social welfare um reliant on social welfare as their primary source of income are not receiving an adequate income based on the 2023 metal figures. Mm. So your kids shouldn't be going to school without a, a lunch and you shouldn't be worrying about turning on the heat on a, a bitterly cold winter's night. Uh, energy uh, really has shot through the roof uh, increased by 117% for urban areas and 75.8% for rural areas over the course of three years isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So um, we've seen a stark increase in the cost of um, household energy for urban households. Um, Previously in our research in other years, we've always found that the rural um, 
household energy costs have been higher than urban households, but we've seen a change in that this year due to the uh, huge rise in the cost of gas. Um, it's really impacted urban households and their uh, household energy costs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, over those three years period, it's over 117% increase in the cost of household energy for urban households. But rural households have also been greatly impacted by that. And um, just perhaps um, household um, heating oil not increasing to the same um, extent over that period of time. But the household energy prices um, for rural households, like I said, were always higher uh, to begin with. So we're just seeing that kind of change and that huge increase for, for urban households now. This and, year. and few of any of us have had our income increase uh, by as much or half as much. So what do you do? Uh, what are people doing? Are they choosing between light and heat? Yeah, they definitely are. And I mean, our, our, our the Metal Research Centre is a part of St. Vincent de Paul and it's been widely reported by the society, the huge increase in the cost, uh, in, in, huge increase in the number of people um, contacting them for help. Also at our launch event for this report last week, we had a spokesperson for MABS there and she really highlighted the um, the huge increase, uh, that's the Money and Budgeting Advice Service and the huge increase of people um, going to them looking for help once they've been in debt. So, yeah, people are having to make really, really difficult choices between very basic mm. things that you shouldn't have to make choices about, like like energy and, and food and then going into debt as well. We're seeing that um, these, it's having an awful impact on people mm. and their standard of living. Okay, and these are the people who are in fuel poverty or uh, living in deprivation, as uh, the case may be. But uh, you also suggest that there's a lot of people who risk poverty. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what we what we when we look at income adequacy for those households that I spoke about previously, there was um, the, so now it's the majority of households have an inadequate income, um, but also for those that have. The minority of um, households that we look at that now they still have an adequate income, the the adequacy of that income has greatly reduced. So they are getting closer to that line, that minimum line, um, and that's what we saw with the with the huge increase in um, income inadequacy that we found in our our findings. That for particularly um, lone pensioner households in urban areas, they would have had an adequate income last year and in years previous due to the income supports provided to them through social welfare. But this year they fell below that adequacy line. Um, so for those households that are just above the adequacy line, um, if if um, social welfare supports and income supports aren't you know, maintained to meet these um, huge increases in the cost of living, there is all, always the fear and the possibility that they could fall beneath that line um, in years to come, yeah. Mm, and uh, how does inflation uh, play into that? Uh, it does look like it's going to level off, if not drop. Um, so there's not actually any deflation um being forecasted for the future. So we, the inflation rates peaked in October of last year, but they're still very, very high. Um, and with, within our figures, um, we would project perhaps up to 6% increase in the cost of a metal between this year and next year. So prices aren't predicted to fall. Um, they're predicted, yes, the, the increases in costs are predicted to slow down, but they're not predicted to fall. So it really needs to be addressed, you know, with, going forward with budget 2024 that um need to try and keep pace with the inflation and, and make up for the that we didn't keep pace 
within Budget 2023 make up for that and try and keep keep pace with the future predictions of inflation that we're seeing at the moment. Okay, Hannah, thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Hannah Boylan is a minimum essential standard of living researcher from the Vincentian MESL Centre at SVP. Now, before we leave you, I just want to bring you an email that comes to me from Danny and it follows on from uh, the interview last week uh, with Fine Gael's uh, Damien English and Danny says, Dear Michael, was it ever the case that we could believe anything that Damien English and many more TDs said? This is clearly not the first or the only lie he has told. English lied on a local authority statutory document where he himself admitted that what he did was misleading and wrong. So how in the name of God can SIPO, Government Ethics Committee and Fine Gael declare that he receives no sanction or punishment? His claim that he hid from public for the past six months because there were ongoing investigations into his despicable actions is a nonsense, as was Mr Vradker's claim that English would be investigated by the Fine Gael party. Boris was even sanctioned by his party for misleading statements and had to resign, but no, in Ireland we accept that our politicians can lie and mislead without any consequences, even giving them standing ovations when they return to the doll. He cheated for personal gain and possibly was given special consideration and allowed to get away with his lies due to him being a TD. What does he want us to take from his stupid comment that that what he did was even below his standards. This is a TD that we depend on to be totally unbiased, honest and fair in implementing legislation that affects us all. If this matter is now brushed under the carpet and forgotten about, this country is heading further down a very perilous autocratic elitist road where the ordinary citizen is being made a mockery of by government. We leave you on that very strong email that came to us from Danny and thanks indeed for your correspondence. Danny, that's our programme for today. Maggie McGuire Research Chris Murray was in the control term I'm Michael God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM Good morning Bye bye The Michael Reed Show Podcast Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM To contact us email now michael at lmfm.ie